Hi, and welcome to a very special breaking news edition of Beer as a Conversation. My name is Matt Kirkegaard, editor of Australian Brewers News, and look, no notes, I'm doing this off the cuff because today I was seeing a media release saying that Phil Sexton, the founder of uh, Matilda Bay and also Little Creatures, uh, Giant Steps Winery and many other things, uh, including Bridgeport, has come to an agreement with CUB to step back into the Matilda Bay role. And he's opening a Matilda Bay brew pub in Hillsville um, at the site of his current winery um, due to open before Christmas. So uh, I managed to have the chance to chat to Phil uh, what I thought was initially just going to be a bit of a chat about his plans for the winery, but became a much bigger uh, conversation about Matilda Bay history. We didn't go too deeply into a lot of the things because we uh, have set a date to chat a little bit more deeply, and it'll be a very, very long uh, conversation when that one takes place. But anyway, um, here is the breaking news, Phil's observations about his return to Matilda Bay and what he has planned for the new brewery in at Hillsville. Without any further ado, here's Phil Sexton. Phil Sexton, welcome to Beer as a Conversation. Uh, thanks, Matt. Matt, I can honestly say that I get a lot of media releases, but few have made me as excited as the uh, media release saying that you were getting back involved with uh, Matilda Bay. Well, yep. Um, I've never really left it. I, you know, when I was started it, when I was running it, um, when I was defending it, and um, after I was elsewhere, I've always sort of stayed quite close to what was going on and um, you know, many times I wasn't that comfortable and other times I was. Um, so uh, it, we got to a point, well, I got to a point personally um, when I was starting to try and make some decisions about my future and, and my wine business, which um, is going really well. But, uh, you know, we were having some concerns about running a big hospitality business um, attached to my winery many times started feeling that we were spending more time focusing on pizzas than we were on <laughs> Pinot And so we decided we were going to, um, if you like, take, take giant steps home and actually reposition it's, it's the whole winery, or the winemaking operation is a better way to put it, um, as well as wine tasting and, and take a step out of hospitality by taking it all back to my main vineyard in Gruya, which is... Uh, just a little bit closer to Melbourne than, than Hillsville is and just alongside Coldstream Hills, Yarra Yering and a few other wineries like that. Um, and then we were confronting this very large and, and lovely space that um, we built in Hillsville um, with what can we do with it. And, you know, always, once a brewer, always a brewer. I, um, when we built the space to, for the winery, I built it like a brewery and uh, made jokes with people at the time that... Uh, you know, if we ever didn't make it in the wine business or we ever wanted to move our winery business, then we could do a brewery. And, of course, one thing went to another in my head and went, you know, maybe I could have a chat with CUB as to what I'd like to do with Matilda Bay going forward. And the conversation started maybe a year and a half ago. Oh, funnily enough, I've had a similar conversation with them a number of times where I've uh, said half-jokingly that if they weren't going to use the brand, uh, maybe they wouldn't mind if I took it out for a spin myself. <laughs> well, I did. That's exactly what I said. And uh, what surprised me was how how quickly they um, they became very interested in it. And, you know, it took a long time, um, a lot of discussions. And a lot of that discussion was around 
you know, um, if I'm going to do this, I'm driving it and um, quite happy for you to sit in the back seat. Um, but, you know, I, I can't do with what I want to do with it and probably get the outcomes that you're looking for um, um, if uh, I'm not going to drive it. So that took a long time to work out how we're going to do that. Um, and also there were some planning issues because it's become much harder to get a, um, you know, planning permits and building permits to, to build breweries nowadays in, in local areas. And, I, you know, again, you know, I read your column all the time and, um, you know, the, the amount of time that's spent by people trying to start up breweries, particularly in, in the urban areas, is just extraordinary now. So, you know, that's taken us a long time. You'd think it'd be a lot easier as councils become more comfortable with the process and understand the operations of uh, brewers better, wouldn't you? Yeah, you would. Um but, you know, if you go back to when we actually started planning Matilda Bay, which was probably in 1982, uh, when we went to the Fremantle Council at the time saying we wanted to put a, a brewery into Fremantle, they had a heart attack. Um, because, of course, when you said brewery, even you know, even though we were going to put it inside a pub, even when you, when you said brewery back then, they thought trucks, um, towers, um, you know, waste issues. You know, they just couldn't comprehend that, that you could actually have a small craft brewery that wouldn't impose those sort of impacts. And, you know, I think today the issue is more around um, our environmental standards are just so much higher. In fact, the biggest thing we had to overcome with getting amended planning permits, even out in Hillsville, um, was to be able to assure that there was, there was not going to be any discernible odour from, released from the site at any time. Let's talk a little bit about Matilda Bay. Because you did start it in 1983, and then there was gradually a stage sale to CUB in the early 1990s. Is that correct? Initially, we had we started the brewery in the Salem Anchor um, in Fremantle, which was um, very small, ten hectolitre batch size, and you know that that went really well, really quickly. But we only did um, both traditional draft casks. You know, where you were. They were actually properly made cask beers um, and kegs from there. And out of work virtually at the same time as we opened that brewery on a significantly bigger plant, but it was still only a uh, 15 hectolitre plant, but it had a lot more capacity in Midlands, which is close to the university in WA. And that ran out of capacity probably by about 1986. Uh, and so we decided that we needed to build a much bigger plant, which had a 300,000 hectolitre capacity. Um, and that was positioned in North Fremantle, and you probably saw it as that lovely old Ford Motor Company building there on the ocean. And to fund that, we um, listed on the ASX on the ASX on the, um, in 1987. And significantly, we actually finalised the underwriting deals um, the evening before the Wall Street crash. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so, so we were good at brewing, but we were absolutely shit at, um, at um, corporate stuff because, of course, the underwriters all turned around and the stockbrokers all turned around and said, you've got no hope um, of getting this float away now. Um, but we were committed. Well, in other words, we had to, you know, the requirement for funds was committed. So we, we progressed with the float. It was very difficult um, straight into the Wall Street crash, but um, and we continued along and we built the brewery. And then in 88, I'm just getting my dates right. In 88, um, we, uh, we had set up a national distribution company for our beer 
along with Stella Artois, um, Youngs from London, uh, Moosehead, Harp, Harp Lager. Um, we had a national distribution company that we called the Special Beer Company, and we we ran into some difficulties sustaining a national distribution business, both with our own expertise, we weren't sales guys, um, and secondly, um, just getting enough sales focus into the distribution company. And, and at the same time, what was then called um, Elders Wine and Spirits, um, which was part of the Foster's Group back then, um, was importing beer, and they um, they had beers like like Corona and a few others. Um, and Corona introductions were I was involved in those because I actually was a friend of the guy that was setting up the worldwide distribution for Corona. And at the same time, he was going to import Redback into the United States. So there was a lot of crossover at the time. And uh, anyway, the conversations continued with Elders Wine and Spirits so that initially Elders Wine and Spirits took over the operations of the special beer company and our team merged in with the special, with the Carlton Wine and Elders Wine and Spirits. It later changed its name to Carlton Wine, Carlton Special Beverages actually. But um, So this was all merging and they ended up, we, tra- we transferred the business to them. They merged our our own production as well as our imports into their portfolio. So they all came into the same portfolio. And therefore, right back then, we had a really good relationship with the CUB people. And that was a really successful transition. They, they helped us increase our BSLs dramatically. Um, our import, where we were the principal for the imports, like Sterrat Fire, were really happy with what went on. So... You know, we were kind of in a, a joint venture back then. Um, and then in 1990, which isn't a date, right, um, the Carlton people, this is the CUB people, oh, there's another part of the story I should tell you about. <laughs> back in the early days of um, the Matilda Bay beers um, and the Salon Anchor and Fremantle particularly, we were, we had... CB beers on our bar, and so, and we had obtained them um, legally, but around the back door, we'd obtained them from retailers in this, in Victoria, because at that time you couldn't get a CB beer in WA, and therefore things like um, Carlton Draft and a few of those other beers were very attractive in WA, and so if you went to one of our bars, you would have seen everything on tap from Levenbroy to Moosehead, to Young's, um, to Cooper's. Cooper's we bought through the back door and brought them into WA, um, as well as our own beers. And um, in many ways, that, that made for a very attractive beer venue. Um, I think by that time, we were probably were operating four or five pubs around Perth. So it had always been part of our model um, to put interesting beers, whether they were from big brewers or whether they were from our own brewery or from, you know, Another another craft breweries production, mind you, at that stage, the only other craft brewery, if you like, would have been Cooper's. Um, so, and we initially had contacted the CUB people through um, them coming into our pubs, wanting to know where they got where we got the beer from. <laughs> 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 so it was all kind of a bit mysterious, and you know what's going on, and all that sort of stuff. But so we made connections with them back then. They were fascinated in what we were doing. Um, and it was always very friendly. 
Um, so they're going forward to 1980, there'd been quite a long relationship with them. And they approached us as to um, whether they could take an investment in us. And uh, at that stage, we had no no problems at all with it. Um, it, A, cemented our relationship with... Um, sorry, Matt, I've, I've just got to go back. In 88, they approached us. Not long after we'd started um, putting the special beer company together, special beer company together with um, Elvis Wine and Spirits that then became Carlton Special Beverages. But anyway, in 1990, they um, and that, well, uh, met with us, advised that they were going to mount a takeover for us and explain why. Um, and that is that they were looking for beer capacity on the West Coast. Um, at that stage, I think we were brewing somewhere around. 100 to 150,000 hectolitres a year. So we still had 150,000 hectolitres of, of production capacity there. And um, we weren't particularly happy with that, but they mounted it anyway. And it took about, I think, four or five months, and they basically bought out what the company. Um, we remained cordial and friendly um, and spent a bit of time after um, the takeover with them. Uh, and I guess it would have been about a year after the takeover that um, I moved on and uh, the other guys who had been running the tour of base started moving on as well. Um, but after that, kind of watched. I mean, I was incredibly impressed by what they did in WA, particularly with what was called Matilda Bebitter. Um Numbers would have been at least 150, maybe 200,000 hectolitres of it. And um, so I'm sure they were really happy with it. You know, at that point, and um, for us, it was something we couldn't do. We didn't have the capacity to sort of ramp up production that far, and not sure whether we really wanted to. We, you know, we didn't want to become a big brewer. We wanted to stay in craft. And then over the years, you know, I've stayed in touch. Um, I know Brad Rogers really well. Uh, we've been long-term friends, and you know, he and I used to talk a lot during those years. I think there were some steps that. Um, I wouldn't have taken, you know, that that's taken. And, you know, in many ways I, they were trying things and sometimes I'm not sure if they, you know, if they were really wanting to be in the craft beer business. Um, but certainly since since we've had these conversations, they're very passionate about, um, you know, getting into craft and also recognising that the best way for you know, craft breweries to operate is to operate internally. There's a lot in that that I'd like to unpack, but I'd like to start by asking what your intention was with Matilda Bay, because when you started it, that was a good 17 years before craft beer even started to be called craft beer. Yeah, we didn't know. <laughs> <laughs> and we didn't know. All we saw was an interesting opportunity. Um, and when I say opportunity, we didn't even, you know, we didn't have a business plan, for example. Uh, we didn't have, we didn't have a five-year plan, we didn't have a 10-year plan. All we really wanted to do was, well, firstly, I mean, that was the time that Alan Bond had taken over the Swan Brewery. And, um, you know, it was a massive company with, you know, terrific, um, terrific profit and terrific resources. And, uh, you know, things started to change really quickly after that. Uh, and I was very aware of it. I was working there. And the second thing was that, you know, we had the 
getting off the topic again here, Matt, but and this is what we could talk about later, but you know, you go back then, you couldn't sell a bottle of, of beer that was made in Victoria. You couldn't sell it in WA or you couldn't sell a bottle of beer made in WA in any other state of the country. You know, Swan Brewery had virtually all of the WA market and the other breweries in, the, in their different locations had, you know, every bit of those markets. And that just seemed really odd to me, um, back, even back then. And, you know, I'd spent a lot of time in Europe and I'd you know, studied there and it was nothing like Australia. And, you know, you go into Germany and, you know, what it's like, um, and Belgium, what it's like. It was just Australia was just a different planet. And the second part of it was in the other country I went to that had a beer culture. It was a wonderful beer culture around local, around what materials, great materials, um, great ways of making beer. You know, brewers were actually personalities rather than corporates. Um, and this didn't happen in Australia. And so, you know, I'm sitting in WA going, why and what can you do about it? And so, you know, that, that's, that's how Matilda Bay started. It was me and a couple of hang gliding buddies, actually. Um, and we used to hang glide together on the weekends. And um, they, they loved beer and wine. And um, one of them was quite experienced in business. I wasn't. I was, I was brought. And we decided that we'd have a go, try and do a small brewery like you'd see in Germany or Belgium or England. Um, and as soon as we started, putting this plan together and started looking for equipment and materials, uh, you know, we realised we couldn't get anything in Australia. None of the equipment manufacturers were willing to make anything for us or supply us. Ingredient, whether producers or importers were willing to supply anything to us. And we realised that wherever we looked, it was a closed shop. So that then became more of a tussle um, and a challenge. Um, so, you know, we started out because things were so different to what we thought it should be, really. And, and also, I've always, always been a winemaker. And it was kind of like, well, the wine is, is really different to this. And, you know, you're free to do things. You're free to express yourself. It's an open market. And uh, so, you know, in many ways, my wine experience was also guiding, why can't we do this with beer? So we started out with that. We realised pretty quickly that you... Um, there's a lot more opportunity than we expected because even though when we first first went out into Perth to see if someone would try and sell some beer, we realised every door was shut to us. No one, there wasn't a place in Western Australia that was willing to buy our beer even when we started producing. However, when the Salmon Anchor uh, became successful, well known, uh, we started to get people approaching us. But that took that took at least a year and a half. We were just moving organically. We, you know, we, I didn't even know what a business plan was. <laughs> <laughs> and um, so, you know, and secondly, you know, we, we never really um, were focused on, on financials. Uh, we, we were just focused on surviving. And, uh, you know, and the way we measured that was, you know, we not have enough money in the bank at the end of every week. So, you know, so we kept rolling, but we realized that there was a lot of momentum. We, you know, we had, I think within the first two years, we had three pubs in Perth, and we were starting to build craft brewery in, in Adelaide in a joint venture with, you know, the, the old line there in um, North Adelaide, the owner of that. Um, 
and we had a lot of attention from people on the East Coast. And that's how within three or four years we had moved into the East Coast, generally working with operators. Where, you know, we go in 50-50 um, and we brought the, the beer expertise and, and also, I guess, the blueprint of, of what a craft pub looked like at that stage. And um, so in many ways, it, it, all, it just started organically. And most people think, you know, most people go, oh, clever business guys. Far from it. <laughs> <laughs> and, and we quickly got a lot of counsel, and often the counsel came from people we'd borrowed money from. And, you know, we started to, I guess, understand it was a bit better. But no, it, it was, there was no plan because, um, you know, foreseeing a future where 10% of the Australian beer market would be craft was impossible. Mm. Um, you know, I, spe- I travelled to the US a lot um, and, you know, was quite good friends with the early people in that market, you know, in the US as well. Um, and they were the same. They were just going, look, I just want to make beer and, and see if I can survive. And including Ken Grossman, who I met when he was in his garage in, in <laughs> San Francisco. And, you know, you know, what are you trying to do, Ken? And it was kind of like, survive. <laughs> <laughs> You know, can I can I have a business where I'm doing what I really want to do, which is make beer, different beer, an interesting beer, but um, and, and you know have enough money to keep going next week. There's a lot in that that I'd really like to come back to, but we might save it for another conversation. And you know what would be fun, and like if I could keep it separate from this conversation, the mistakes that were made. They, they are the things that most people don't know, and there were some there were some incredible mistakes made. And I've made a note to. Uh, Talk to you about that when we catch up, but having just come back from Portland and seen the very sad sight of a Portland brewery or a Bridgeport brewery that you had a very big part in, I'd like to talk about that as well. Uh, that's a really sad story, and uh, I know an awful lot about it, as you know. Yeah, so, uh, well, well, we'll park that. And Matilda Bay, how have you felt watching it over the trials and travails of the brand, you know, from some of the high points post you leaving when, say, Brad Rogers was brewing there to more recently when a brand like Frothy was uh, was launched under the Matilda Bay name? Proud. Um, proud. I, if, if you, when they were operating at NWA, um, they, they did a fantastic job. Um, and but I think you know it kind of drifted um, after they, um, I guess, decided that they were going to bring it more into the into the company fold, um, and that's a natural thing to do. I think it, it's a, you know, is it a mistake? Well, probably, but at the same time, it is a natural thing to do, and I can't say I wouldn't do the same thing. Also, um, you know. I've always, again, aside, you know, I've always sort of pulled people up when they start really having goes at big corporate brewers, and I go, you know, if you could make beer as consistently as them, uh, then you can call yourself a brewer. And secondly, you know, beer's got different roles for different people. It's not, you know, it's not all just craft. We, all, we don't want to drink craft all the time. Um, sometimes it's nice to have a, have a commercial, commercial big beer, and, mm. and lots of us do it. Um, and that, the other thing I've always done this at craft conferences wherever I've been you know at some stage the question comes up at the end of it so Phil you know what do you think is the best beer in the world and I go without hesitation Budweiser and they've got to sit in the room and go ooh you know <laughs> <laughs> so, no, stop and think about this 
Um, it's a great beer to drink. It's balanced. It's not particularly standout in any particular way, but it's a great beer. It's balanced. Um, more importantly, it uses the best ingredients available in America. It, it does. And it's got brewers trained to much higher levels than any brewers you'll see in craft breweries, or most brewers you'll see in craft breweries. But finally, it's incredibly consistent wherever you buy it, whatever tap, whatever convenience store, gas station you pick up cans, highly consistent, beautifully managed, and you'll never see a stale one. And, you know, I go to them, you know, you should all aspire to be that good. <laughs> Doesn't mean to say you're going to make it. <laughs> but if you could make your beer that well every time, then then you then you're a great brewer. So you know. So coming back to it, um, you know they they make decisions. They do things that we may not agree with. I don't agree with, but um, you know they're, they're successful generally. Mm. And um, so they make you know they they brought it corporately or into the fold if you like, and then started trying to work out how to. Um, how to run it or let it run itself and you know I think you know Brad experienced that um, but you know there was no real blueprint for it um, and you know the answer I think and, and you know I expressed this to them many years ago when I was asked at one stage by the marketing director at the time I'm talking about the year 2000 uh, mate, no about 2004 2005 we had a chat and I said you know you have to let it free and um, I go, what do you mean? <laughs> I go, well, well, let it operate by itself. You know, let 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 Brad run it all um, properly. Um, you know, joint venture it with someone who is willing to run it. Um, and that was my view then. And I guess when when I had the opportunity to with a, with a, a perfect location for for a brewery and. You know, I'd come to the conclusion that maybe rather than just sell a building to someone who wanted to turn it into a Bunnings or something like that, um, that um, I should either sell it to someone who wanted to put a brewery into it, or then sort of, why wouldn't I? <laughs> <laughs> so that's how we got to here. I don't know if I've asked, fully answered that question. I drifted around a bit there. Yeah, but it's a hard question to answer. Oh, I, I know. I tell you what, the first word came to mind when you said, "How do you feel? How did you feel?" And so I went from. I've always been proud of it because I think it, it did some fantastic things. It did some awful things too, but it did some fantastic things that set in train how the industry has gone, um, both here and overseas. Um, so proud of that and proud of what in the early days happened with it. Um, and then to maybe a bit sad. Um, and, and that's why I've sort of stayed in touch going, you know, commenting to them about things and they always listen. Um, it was always cordial. Um, and so, of course, when I decided that you know I, it might be good to explore a brewery in the site, they were the first people I talked to because I don't think the story's finished. And um, in fact, you know, for me, if you were to ask in a one-liner, um, what you know, how would you describe it? I'd go, I, I want to get on with unfinished business. And, and so, what what are your plans uh, for, for for the brewery? What's the uh, timeline? Well. You know, look, you know, I also stay really close to craft, as you know. Um, you know, most people don't know what I was doing in the US, but I was massively involved there for oh, eight years, about three years over there, and then the remaining five years going over every month or two. Um, and, you know, we took Bridgeport from, 
it's down to 20,000 cases a year. Mm. Uh, we took it back to nearly a million cases um, with one beer, Bridgeport APA. And, um, and we had it in quite a few states. And so, you know, it's closely involved with the craft industry over there. Um, so, you know, been really close. I mean, little creatures, of course. Um, but since then, you know, I, I've watched craft, you know, get into ice cream flavored beers and <laughs> bubblegum flavored beers and pineapple beers and and all of those things. And you know, if I'm I'm a I'm a traditional brewer, <laughs> <laughs> I kind of go, you know, that's great, that's good fun, but to mm-hmm. me, that's alcoholic beverage. Um, and you know, to me, beer is still derived as the Germans taught me, um, and that is, it's derived from barley malt and wheat malt. If you're doing a particular style, uh, hops, water, and yeast, and um, you know, tr- the true craft of beer is to make beautiful beers out of those ingredients, and and also remind people that maybe the role of craft is to experiment with those things, and you know. Some people respond and go, yeah, we go to Belgium and, you know, fruit is an important part of beer. And I go, yeah, that's Belgium. <laughs> and yeah, yeah, for fun. And, you know, what can we do? But getting back to those those ingredients properly um, and using craft, great technique, great materials, uh, not necessarily in any defined style we have now. You know, to me, I, I need another pale ale like a hole in the head. Um, even though I love them and I'm, I, I drink them all the time, it's just like, oh gosh, here we go, another pale ale. Um, but what about all these other beers that we've got we can explore? So, um, my view is that Matilda Bay now, um, with me, is the opportunity to um, explore uh, great traditional styles um, made made in a true brewing way. And um, and see if um, you know we can have some impact on on the industry as to well look, it's also all about beer and um, you know and let's let's make sure we don't lose track or lose respect for those incredible traditions that um, have gone before us for two thousand years. So we'll see a beer such as Redback making a bit of a comeback. Um, yeah, look, um, brands. Brands like Redback and Dog Bolter are certainly we, we we plan to keep keep making, and you know initially we'll keep them on the bar, and just learn a little bit more about them. And that sounds strange coming from me, but you know <laughs> about their context today. Um, and the you know the main thing I, I want to look at, and and this is what CB are, are really interested in, and it's something that they haven't really explored themselves. Um, is to get into um, you know four or five beers uh, that are firstly um, virtually you know and I hate using these words because people use them on about the beer and it's just it, that's not the point but that you know the properly sustainably made beers from proper organic materials and and mm-hmm. so that you you know we really are working with proper materials and treating it respectfully to make a great tasting beer uh, that has a true sustainability story from you know how the materials were grown, how it was made, um, but the site is a sustainable site. And, and so these sort of things what I really love. And 
when, you know, if you come and visit the brewery once we get going, um, you know, there'll be a sustainability story on the wall. And so, you know, rather like a report card as to, well, we'd like to get to 100% sustainable because we think, you know, that's important for craft and specialist producers, certainly. So, you know, eventually getting ourselves off the grid, um, that, you know, even the waste food that goes out of the place um, has had the energy recovered from it rather than it just be dumped, um, that we account for the water we use, like a scorecard. On a, on a, we haven't quite worked out how we're going to communicate. We'll, be on a, we'll put it on our website. We'll put it up as some sort of big display in the pub and, uh, you know, where our packaging materials go and where they came from. Um, invite local schools to come and see the place and, and take them around and go, well, you know, this place is on a trip to from being massively inefficient and and, a, and another sort of net generator of uh, of waste, if you like, through to 100% sustainable. And, of course, I know we'll never get there, but... You know, when we start getting to seventy percent, uh, we can start to make some noise about that. And you know, you never get there. It's like getting hundred points for a beer or a wine in the competition. You never get there. But as you get closer, you know, you're getting really close. So, is the plan that the Hillsville Brew Pub will be the focus of it, with a national retail footprint or rollout, or will it be very much about come and visit us in Hillsville and experience it uh, locally? Come to our region. Is, is is how I'd like to put it. And, um, you know, I mean, the other reason that I was quite happy doing this brew project in Hillsville is it's, it's a 10-minute drive from my, <laughs> from, from my farm. And that's, that you know, I, just, I don't want to travel around a lot, getting too old. <laughs> and, and also, it starts to create the wrong impression, I think. Um, we've, we, we, we can source um, water prior to treatment um, out here, it's all runoff from the mountains. We intend to brew with it, so we're, we've actually got some big tanks that are little wine fermenters um, that we will be holding our brewing water in, and we'll, it, it'll be water that's untreated from the straight out of the mountains. Um, there's not a lot of places you can do that in Australia anymore. And the second thing is, you know, the Yarra Valley is really Melbourne's food bowl, so it's got a, a wonderful culture around production of food, production of gin, production of chocolate, production of beer and wine. And so it's a, it's a perfect place to be. Um, and also, the, you know, the brewery, well, winery, is on one of the biggest um, highway arterials in and out of Melbourne. Uh, everyone's going up to Buller during the summer. Everyone's going up to the snow during the winter. So it's a terrific public-facing um, location. I mean, the winery cellar door gets on average 1,500 to 2,000 visitors a week. Um, the brewery will get more, I know. It will. And so, you know, we could be seeing three or 4,000 a week come through the place. So, yeah, it's, got, it's a perfect place to do it. And it's going back to its home. It's, you know, it's finally got a proper home um, after all these years. And it's going to stay there. Um, and secondly, the area between us and, like, you know, 30 or 40 kilometres around us is easy for us to service um, ourselves. Mm-hmm. And so we're going to progressively take draft out about that far around us so that, you know, you're in Matilda Bay's region um, once, once you get to Melbourne, um, but not far east of it, or west of it, I should say, because it's just getting too far for us to service. And so, you know, once we've 
we've worked in that market for a while, um, we'll decide what we're going to do next. But uh, at this stage, we're not putting a packaging line in apart from the keying line. And you know, the initial capacity of the plant is about maximum 3,000 hectares a year. But that that's still a lot of draft beer. But CUB's been brewing the legacy beers, uh, the Matilda Bay beers, down at Cascade for a couple of years. We haven't, we're not going to see this as a platform for those um, coming back into focus? Uh, the, we're going to take, yeah, I hate that word, legacy beers, but... Um, <laughs> Sorry. I think it's their word, it's not mine. <laughs> that was actually uh, my word, because you just don't see them uh, around anymore. Yeah, so if we're talking about Redback and Dog Bolter um, and um, Alpha, yeah, we're going to ring it up and make it here. Okay. Um, so if we're selling it, and pouring it, we're making it. But this isn't going to be, uh, CUB isn't going to reinvigorate sales of the package product using this as a, a bit of a focus point, as a, the Matilda Bay brand is going to be very much your baby? Yeah, we're not involved and won't be involved with, uh, I think it's with the Yaks. That that continues and it'll continue to be, um, have Matilda Bay brand on it. Frothy, the same thing, uh, but we're not involved in those. So the beers you brew will be the ones coming out of Healesville while you see how the market um, the, the market shapes them? Correct. That's right. Well, Phil, you've been very generous with your time and thank you. And I'd definitely like to take you up on your offer to go back over some of the history of the last uh, 30 years. And uh, so congratulations. And uh, just very quickly, uh, when do you hope that the brewery will be open? Uh, look, um we, we had some we had some hurdles we had to overcome. The last one was getting an amended planning permit. We've done that now, so we're actually locked in to a schedule. We are targeting uh, I don't know, a couple of weeks before Christmas, um, and to get um, to get beer production running just a bit before that. So we've got some first beer to have on the bar. Um, it's it's pretty tight, though, Matt. Uh, well, I won't start the uh, stopwatch just yet. And that was Phil Sexton. Uh, I hope my excitement was kept in check. Uh, As I said to Phil during the interview, uh, Matilda Bay Redback was the beer that got me into craft beer and in a lot of ways completely changed my life quite literally. So that's very, very exciting news. We look forward to uh, going down and visiting the Matilda Bay uh, Brewery in Hillsville when it opens. And uh, anyway, let us know what you think of the news. Let us know what you think of Matilda Bay. and Let us know what you think of uh, Phil's plans and even uh, his philosophy around making beautiful beer from just four ingredients. But uh, I, I thank Phil for the generosity of his time and uh, I look forward to chatting with him again very soon. <laughs>